Welcome to the Joma Preventative Health Podcast, hosted by the Jewish Orthodox Women's Medical Association. We provide you with up-to-date information on health topics geared towards the Orthodox Jewish community. This podcast content is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended as medical advice or as a substitute for the medical advice of a physician. Hi, my name is Elisa Minkin. I am a general pediatrician and the co-chair of the Jewish Orthodox Women's Medical Association JOMA Preventative Health Committee. And I'm here today with Dr. Ellie Carmody, who is an infectious disease specialist from NYU Langone and Bellevue Hospital. And we last talked, it was ready seven weeks ago, I believe. Wow. And we're here again, it's, it's a whole different world. Thank you so much for joining me tonight. Oh, you're very welcome, it's a pleasure to be here. I'd like to talk tonight about quarantine fatigue. When, when will life be back to normal? I think life won't be back to normal for, for many, many months. Um, and I think, you know, it's going to depend on the development of a vaccine, the manufacturing of a vaccine, the distribution of a vaccine, uh, and that may take a while. So I don't see that the world in which we lived in nine weeks ago mm -hmm. is going to be our world within the next, let's say nine to 12 months. Mm -hmm. So you, you don't think we're gonna have a vaccine for at least a year, right? I, I don't think so. I mean, I'm, I always try to be optimistic and I try to think of how it could be rolled out before then, but I mean, the entire world is going to want this vaccine and to manufacture it in you know billions of doses, <laughs> I, I think, we need to think realistically about how that can possibly happen. And my suspicion is that it's going to take some time. And I think one year is a reasonable time, um, if not more. Right, if not more, because we have to make sure that it, it works and that it's safe. So. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So where are we now? I know that we were talking about flattening the curve. Mm -hmm. So I think that we've achieved a lot. I think we've achieved that. Uh, we have flattened that curve um, and it's taken extraordinary measures to do so. And I think uh, that we as citizens have, have you know, endured hardship in order for that to happen. And I don't wanna minimize that hardship, um, but I think it needs to continue. Um, we flattened the curve. That doesn't mean that there are no new cases. Certainly every day in the hospital, we see new cases of, of COVID-19 and you know, we, I'm just speaking in terms of our hospital um, at Bellevue, we have had at our peak, maybe 110 cases uh, of, of COVID-19 in the ICU. Um, now we're down to 75, but there's still 75 patients in the ICU with COVID. And there are still new cases coming in every day. So, uh, you know, it's, it's certainly, certainly not over. We, we may be on the down uh, slope of the curve, but it's, it's gonna be a very long tail. And I think what's important to understand is that, um, you know, these, these infections will continue to happen and that what's going to be important is minimizing um, and preventing a new surge of, the, of these cases happening. So we want to maintain um, social distancing so that we don't have a new surge. And I think, you know, if I could just add, um, over, the, over the past seven weeks, 
there's been tremendous delays in healthcare for the people who really need uh, surgeries, who need medical procedures, you know, stenting, et cetera, and cardiac stenting, et cetera. And I think that, you know, we're now just starting to offer those procedures again. Um, and we can't afford another surge to, that would postpone all of these life-saving procedures again. Um, we can't afford a surge in which you know, we're, we're not being able to treat patients who have strokes, who have heart attacks, who have other conditions that, that really deserve you know, first-line medical management or surgical management. We can't afford to, to, to you know, have suboptimal care for those people. Absolutely. And first of all, I want to say that they keep, you know, clapping for the heroes, the healthcare workers, but the other heroes are everyone who's staying home, everyone who's doing social distancing, everyone who's washing their hands, wearing masks and gloves, doing all these things. Everyone is a hero. I, I really completely agree. And, uh, you know, I'm a physician. I'm also a mother. You know, I've done homeschooling with my kids. My husband is now doing the homeschooling with my kids while I'm living in a hotel. And, you know, uh, he's a hero for me. Um, my kids are heroes. So I, I know how, what everybody's feeling. And, you know, I, I completely sympathize. And I understand how hard this is. Um, I do. And I really appreciate everything that people are doing. Right. And it feels like it's really time to, to stop emotionally. I mean, it's, there's a big toll. And, and actually, there has to be a balance between the risks of going out and doing more things and, and the risks of, of not doing these things. Like you said, the risk of not getting procedures. That's a significant risk. That's why that has to be one of the first things we open up. Right. Right. Exactly. And I think, you know, our, our government will tell us, and I think that they'll be very reasonable in telling us, um, you know, how we can re-enter and um, slowly open ourselves um, within our communities and, and with our businesses. Uh, and I, and I, I would wait for that guidance. And I think that uh, it's, it's important to do that and to follow um, what, what the regulations will be. So what about the people who have already had COVID? Can they just go back to regular life? You know, I wish that were the case. I wish we knew that. Uh, we don't. Um, and I think that's important to recognize. We, we're in a state of, you know, incredible uncertainty, uncertainty around this virus. And there's research being done. This research is happening incredibly quickly. And I think we will know answers, you know, within the month to months to come. But at this point, we don't know. And I would say that just because somebody who's had has had COVID-19, we don't know if that person has what's called immunity. Um, we don't know how long that immunity will last, if indeed they do have some immunity, whether it's partial or complete. Um, and we don't know if a person who, let's say they have some degree of immunity and they're not sickened again, if they can still be, you know, ha have the virus and transmit it. So, you know, for example, somebody may be re-exposed to COVID and may not present with symptoms because they've had it before and they have partial immunity, but they, that virus may be shedding in their body and they may be transmitting it to other people who are more vulnerable and who have not had COVID. 
Do, do we know how long it's shed, for example, in, in stool? Because I know that um, Coxsackie virus spreads like crazy in, in daycares because it it's, comes out in the stool for quite a long time, weeks, months. Mm -hmm. Do yeah. we know about COVID we, for this? I think there's been a lot of variability. And I think um, the, I would say weeks to months. <laughs> so I think that on the longer end of the spectrum, it's months. And on the, on the shorter end of the spectrum, it's a, you know maybe a couple of weeks. Uh, and you know, there's a patient who I'm thinking about who is still in our ICU, and um, he first came in with symptoms in the middle of March, and he's been in our ICU on ECMO. He's a 35-year-old man, and we just tested him uh, for the virus in his, uh, you know, the nasopharyngeal mm -hmm. swab. He's still positive, and it's, you know, six weeks oh, later. Wow. That, that might be the explanation for what is it, the South Korea where they reported reinfection? Yeah. So it, I think I think that's correct, and I think that um, you know, first of all, the nasopharyngeal environment is a very dynamic environment. Mm -hmm. So people may get a positive test one day, and then have a negative test a few days later, and then may have a positive test depending on what's happening in their nasopharynx and how much viral shedding there is. There's never going to be a constant shedding of this virus. It's going to sort of wax and wane. And it's going to be, depend on the sampling technique of the person who's you know, doing the swab. There's a lot of variability. So I think that that's what we were seeing in South Korea um, with sort of this waxing and waning presentation and, 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 um, and viral shedding and, and some sampling technique differences and just the you know, inevitable false negative testing that can occur with these acids. Right. Can, can we talk a little bit about the false negative? Because it's really actually common. How, how common is it? Yeah. I mean, let's say around a third of tests. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, 30 to 40% even sometimes can be, you know, false negatives. And we've certainly seen um, in, in, you know, this pattern where you'll have We'll send two different tests on somebody. You know, somebody will need some tests. You know, and uh, to to be transferred to another department. The the person have a, you know, a uh, a positive test, and then two days later we'll have a negative test, and then people will question that, and we'll do one more test, and it'll be a positive test. So, you know, I think that there's a lot of, uh, yeah, there's just a lot of uncertainty in these tests, and I wish that we had, uh, you know, for example, a, a blood test or something that would just tell us you know, is does a person have, you know, viral shedding that wasn't so dependent on this environment, like a nasopharynx, which was, it's so, uh, it's just so variable. And, but we don't, you know, so we just have to accept the limitations of our current testing. Right. So because of that uncertainty, it makes sense that just because you've had COVID and even if they told you, you can go back to whatever after 14 days or whatever mm -hmm. time frame we're giving you, you can still potentially be infectious with it. Correct. Yeah. And I think that that's, you know, that's the importance of wearing a mask and maintaining social distance, even if you've been, you know, even if you're recovered, because mm -hmm. you don't know how long you're going to be shedding virus. And even if you've had a test 14 days later, that's negative, you don't know if it can reappear. Um, and, you know, I've also, you know, I think it's important to, you know, so many people are recovering. And I think it's important to recognize the complexity of recovery. Mm -hmm. I know that, you know, in talking to people, people have had a very difficult time with recovery and people will sort of, will, have, will feel better for a few days and then feel worse, get a little low grade fever, 99.1, 99.4, just feel, you know, not well again. And I, it's, it's, so this is a very complex virus uh, and, and, you know, something just we've never seen before. 
Absolutely. Now, what about, you said blood testing. We do have antibody testing. That's really been a hot topic. I'd love to learn more your perspective on the antibody right. testing. Right. Okay. So a few, a few uh, points. So what we would love is for an antibody to, what would we, you know, what do we, what we, do we want to see? We want to see people develop immunity to the coronavirus and have lifelong immunity to it. But we don't think that that's the case with coronaviruses. In fact, we know it's not the case. So, you know, people who have had coronaviruses, let's say the common cold, mm -hmm. they've been challenged with, you know, they, they may have an immunity, um, an antibody response, for example, for a period of time, but then they, they certainly can be reinfected with the same virus a year later. So um, we know that with coronaviruses, you, people do not have lifelong immunity, um, that that Im immunity wanes over time. So, and then in terms of the testing, there are a few things that are going on. So there's been a flooding of the market of these mm -hmm. sort of tests that have come from you know, different countries and are sort of just being rapidly disseminated these point of care tests that just say, you know, do a finger prick and you can test your antibody. Um, a lot of these really have not been carefully validated at all. So they haven't been tested in laboratories um, for accuracy. And I think with these kinds of tests, we're seeing a lot of, um, you know, false positives and false negatives. So they're just not accurate. And I really wouldn't rely on these tests at all to, to, even, to even make the decision about, you know, have, has a person been exposed or not? Mm -hmm. So that's one thing. So then, you know, and to a certain degree that carries over to what, you know, the, this sort of more, uh, the FDA approved tests, which are being given in commercial labs like Quest, like LabCorp, um, certainly in a lot of people's places of work if they're healthcare workers. Um, you know, these may be better tests, they may be more accurate, but I don't think you can say that any test is 100% accurate. So that's one caveat. Right. And also, this is a new virus. So everything is new. Everything is new. Yeah. We, we can't and really know then, for sure anything. <laughs> right. right. We don't have any gold standard, really. Right. So. Right. Um, so and then, you know, when let's say somebody gets a test and it's a, you know, it would say, you know, yes, you have antibody. You know, we would love to be able to say, OK, you know, you have immunity and you're free to go wherever. But we really just don't know that at this time. And, you know, I think that that's very important to recognize. I, I think that the antibody tests, you know, if they're done in a, in a, you know, reputable, with a reputable lab, they may tell you that you've been exposed, you know, with, with some degree of, I wouldn't say certainty, but it's, it's like, let's say likelihood. And, but that exposure, again, doesn't signify that you are immune. It doesn't mean that uh, you are not actually currently uh, contagious. Um, and it also doesn't tell you, you know, if you can get, so it, it, it can't tell you if, you if you can get sick again. It can't tell you if uh, you, you, even if you don't, or if you don't get sick again, whether or not you can transmit to other people. So I think even though we so much want to use these antibody tests to uh, to free ourselves uh, and to to be able to go out again in the community um, like we did nine weeks ago, uh, we can't. And I know, you know, the, my feeling as a healthcare worker, 
I, you know, of course, I want to know if I've been exposed and if I have antibody. Um, and I have gotten tested and I, and I want to be transparent about that. But I'm never going to stop wearing my N95 mask, right. my gown, my face shield, my, you know, everything when I'm working with patients with COVID-19. That would be incredibly uh, foolish, in my opinion. Right. I just want to just go through this really, really carefully to make this really crystal clear. Right. right? Why not? Why not? Because I don't know if I can be reinfected again. And I I don't want to be sick. And again, I don't want to, even if I don't get sick, I don't want to be a vector. I don't want to be able to transmit this to somebody else. Right. But Um, also, we don't even know if those antibodies will actually prevent you. Right. From getting sick. We we just don't know about this virus yet. We don't know what the numbers mean. Right. Other than we saying you probably you probably had it. That that's all that you can learn from this. Exactly. And I think that's all that you can say. It means that you've probably had it. And I think there's a, a lot of people just want to know that information. Mm-hmm. And I understand that very, you know, I really do. Um, but I, I I think that's all we can use that for at this point. But I think that you know we have to keep like you said wearing all the you know, protection that we need to do our job and for you know, a not healthcare provider would be, you know, you go outside in public, you, you wear a mask, mm-hmm. right? You stay six feet apart. Doing those measures are going to not be less important for the foreseeable future, even if we're tired of them. <laughs> correct. Yeah. I mean, I'm wondering what it's going to look like when we re- reopen. I mean, are we going to be doing things differently, like doing more things, but I'm, mm-hmm. I'm guessing we're going to be doing them with the social distancing measures in place. I, I agree. And I think that, you know, office structures are going to change. Mm-hmm. We're all going to be wearing masks for months. Mm-hmm. Uh, and working from home, possibly, if you can. Exactly. You don't need to come in. Right, right. Um, and I, I don't know what public transportation is going to look like. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, um, you know, certainly masking is, is going to be key. Um, because, again, we're masking because of the whole idea that any of us can be uh, basically spreading virus or transmitting virus through our, through our, through our droplets, through our breath at any point. Mm-hmm. And that's, we're trying to reduce that. So there's many things that we've done to try to reduce the, uh, you know, to flatten that curve. We've, you know, we've worn masks and we've instituted, you know, mass masking. We've socially distanced. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, I, it's very, very hard, and I really sympathize with, with all of us here, but I think that we need to just continue to do those things. And it, right, and I was thinking also that, you know, we want to think, okay, we're done, we're done, we're done, but like I said, first of all, we're not done, we're just turning down, we're in a downturn, we're nowhere near down at zero cases, number one, mm-hmm. but also we got there from the heroic efforts, not just of the healthcare workers, but of the general public who's doing the social distancing. If we stop doing that, I mean, all, we're like a dam, we're like our fingers are in the dam. Right, exactly, that's a great analogy. So we shouldn't take our fingers out. Don't take your fingers out of the dam. <laughs> Unless you're gonna wash them, no. <laughs> so that's, that, that's a really important point. And, and again, to praise everybody for all the hard work that they've done because we're, we're literally all in this together, our actions. Mm-hmm. really, 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 really matter. They do. They do. So um, back to the testing. Mm-hmm. We talked about antibody testing. We talked about how um, it would be nice to know, but we 
what we shouldn't do is not be vigilant. We have to, we have to continue to be vigilant, even if we have the test results. Right. We do have to be vigilant. That'll be hard though. That, that's the part that, that I'm a little scared of. I think that that'll be hard. I think that once you're told, you know, you have antibodies, it's going to be hard not to act differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it is. And I think that you just have to recognize that we just don't know what it means yet. Um, and maybe we will a month from now, but we don't. And so it, it's not sensible to change one's behavior, uh, you know, just based on one test mm-hmm. in which we don't know what it means. So I think that what they're going to be doing is having a, a gradual reopening. And I think that when we make our decisions about what to do, because, you know, they're going to have decisions about, you know, what can be open and what can't be, but in our decisions on an everyday basis, I think that it also makes sense to, to gradually do more things, but continue to be careful. Mm -hmm. Like maybe before you wouldn't go to the store because Mm -hmm. it was so, so prevalent, but now you might go. Yeah. But but wear your mask. Right. And go once a week, you know, try to minimize how often you go. Uh, it's, it's about just taking small steps to, to minimize your risk. And right. It's a risk. Each one is a risk benefit equation. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I, I wanted tofu. <laughs> I don't know, but I don't need it. So I'm not going to go to the store for that, right. you know, right. one item that I didn't really need. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm out of milk. I'm out of diapers. I have to go. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, you people just yeah. It, it's we need to we need to plan. <laughs> we need to you know be very committed to being organized and uh, you know planning so that we do buy you know things together and make sure that we have a decent supply of them, but for one to two weeks and you know try to minimize how often we go out. Right now, also other decisions that are going to come up are going to be who you spend time with. So say you've been sheltering at home and you have family members, say in your community, but you mm-hmm. haven't been going near them. When would that be feasible? I don't think you can make a blanket statement. I'm just throwing it out that, that these are the kind of decisions. Yeah, I think that's really difficult to know. I mean, you know, to be honest, I'm thinking of my in-laws mm-hmm. and I don't know. I don't know if I feel comfortable going near them yet um, right. because I, I feel that I'm still at risk right. you know, as a healthcare worker. And I, I think I would want the more vulnerable people, the, the people with diabetes and high blood pressure mm-hmm. and older. Uh, I think, unfortunately, we still need to, to keep people with those conditions isolated. Um, Right. And it's a struggle between your, you know, emotional desire to be close to people, especially people that are, you know, wouldn't be that hard to be close with if you just went next door. Right? Right. <laughs> um, but to be logical about it, about you really have to assess what is the risk mm-hmm. of being together. Exactly. Versus the risk of being a little sad for longer and this longer. And we do have technology, you know, it's not nearly as good. But it's what we have, and, you know, it's making that decision, each one, you know, one step at a time. And I, I do want to encourage people who listen to this, if you're not sure, you can ask your healthcare provider, because I've had these conversations with some of my family that, you know, have come to me. And it's it's good to take a breath and, and, and talk it through rather than, than react emotionally. Like, I think it's just time. I think I just need this. Mm-hmm. Because you might regret it later when, you know, you took chances that it was too soon to take. Right. 
I want to thank you so much for updating us. And I'm hoping that next time we talk, we're in a better situation than we are now. And we are in a better situation than we were in. And thank all the healthcare workers, but also thank all the general public that's working so hard to save lives. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And all the patients too. Yes. Patients who, you know, struggled and the patients who, you know, were on clinical trials. Um, All those people are heroes too. So uh, it's it's been a a huge community effort for sure. Right. We're all in this together and hopefully with Hashem's help, we will get to a better place. Thank you so much for doing this with me and have a good Shabbos. Good Shabbos. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Jomo Preventative Health Podcast. If you've enjoyed this, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and share this with your friends. For more information, check out our Instagram at joma underscore org. Check out our website, www.joma.org, that's J-O-W-M-A dot org, or email us at health at joma.org.